0: Hi, I'm Matt Kierkegaard, and welcome to a special Brews News Live. As regular listeners know, we worked with ingredient supplier Bentani to take the show to the recent BrewCon trade conference, and had the opportunity to catch up with some of the key speakers at the conference, including today's guest, Kim Jordan. Kim Jordan is a co-founder, former CEO, and now executive chair of the board of New Belgium Brewing. New Belgium was founded in 1991, and Kim has been instrumental in developing a business and a culture that has driven one of the most respected craft breweries in America. Our chat was a very free-ranging discussion, talking about New Belgium's early days, whether a business could start the same way today and still grow to the scale that New Belgium has achieved, how notions of craft have changed, and also Kim's views on the move to brand independence in Australia. It's a great conversation with someone who thinks very deeply about beer, and I hope you'll enjoy it. Kim Jordan, uh, welcome to Radio Brews News.
1: Thank you for having me, Matt. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Oh, it's, it's a real thrill to be able to speak to you. And uh, as I said to you off mic, um, there is a lot of uh, that, that we can talk about, but I guess you are here for the Independent Brewers Association and you've just delivered your keynote. So we might pick up on a few of the themes you talked about there. And one of the first things you talked about, um, and you didn't really get the chance to explore it too deeply, but you congratulated the Independent Brewers Association for the way that they have taken the, the messaging around what they do and put it on independence more so than craft. Can, can you talk a little bit more about that? Do, do you think that the, Brewers, the uh, Brewers Association in the States has taken itself into a corner a little bit with the focus on craft?
1: You know, I think for starters, every association has dedicated uh, board members who have a big stake in the outcome and dedicated staff who want to get it right and you know the work that the BA did uh, several years ago was at a different time than now and craft was still very much um, a new concept that was wholly owned or almost wholly owned by brewers fast forward uh, 12-ish years and that's changed a fair amount, and so I think um, while I still um, appreciate the term craft, and I it holds a place for me. I think the IBAs' distinction of talking about independence versus craft. I think their recognition that the term craft may, you know, be somewhat bastardized is. Um, It it was brave of them and and I also think forward looking I think there are some parts of that that should play out really well and then I also think it will be interesting to see um, in the US we have some legacy brewers who maybe are independent but only do contract brewing for um, you know brands that are uh, for instance maybe they're um, ready-to-drinks or flavoured malt beverages or something, and so are those people a part of an association or not? You know, there are nuances of all definitions, but I thought it was really smart of them to be looking at what's the most powerful language and imagery.
0: But this this industry that we uh, operate in has just been so rapidly evolving. What was what we now call craft beer called when you started New Belgium in 1991? Was it even... Called craft beer then
1: it really wasn't it was called microbrew, which is a term that i admit gives me a bit of the shivers because it just maybe it's like like clothing styles you know in the time it seemed like the right thing to call it now it feels a bit like um dated to the point of you know, almost being embarrassing in some ways. But, um, yeah, craft was a term that came along a little bit later. And I think better described, because with microbrew we were essentially segmenting craft brewers into various sizes rather than celebrating this thing that we do that is a part of a, you know, an ancient art form. And so I think craft brewers really... Um, Focus that more clearly.
0: Although the the, the craft um, definition itself uh, poses a few problems in an ever changing uh, you know arena, I, I, I got myself into a little bit of trouble uh, this week when I was talking about the uh, brute IPA style that we've seen emerge um, that uses uh, amylase and enzymes to really break down the sugars. And once upon a time, uh, the the use of enzymes was seen as the ultimate hallmark of. Uh, you know, industrial beer. And I, and I made that comment and uh, uh, upset people thinking that I was calling their beer industrial uh, w- w- when, when I wasn't. But we have seen this real step change in attitudes and small brewers are starting to use uh, cane sugar and adjunct sugars Um, where once they uh, turn them away, uh, we we were seeing enzymes. Um, When I spoke to the brewer that made that beer, he said, oh, no, well, we're not industrial, we don't pasteurise. And, of course, uh, a a lot of the beers that New Belgium make are pasteurised. And we talked to Casey uh, when she was over for Good Beer Week, and she said, and you can thank me for that. Is that dynamism of the industry and the rapidly changing uh, element of the industry difficult for an industrial association to keep track of and stay relevant and keep a flag for people to gather around?
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot in your question. So let me start with the first part, which is uh, the definition. Um, When I was on the board of the BA, we probably talked about the legs of the definition, the sort of subsections. Oh gosh, every meeting, almost every meeting, Because there was, you know, is a brewery the size of Boston Beer um, or Sierra Nevada or New Belgium, for that matter, really too big to be considered a craft brewer Um, in your and, and so, you know there was that, there was traditional brewing styles. Well, how traditional is traditional? And by the way, isn't one of the things we're doing kind of bucking tradition in some ways? So does that really hold up to scrutiny? So, you know, an independent, um, well, what percentage is independent? And what if you're owned by, you know, what if you're publicly traded or you're, you know, there are all those nuances that are not easy to wrap your hands around. And then you imagine them sort of overlaid on a dynamic movement, really. It's, It's not even just that it's an industry, it's a movement. And it's really been kind of the... The guidepost for other movements like coffee and um, kombucha and you know this whole sort of drinks space um, uh, liquids as food space really has some of its roots all the way back to craft beer so you know it's complicated and I think uh, we I think smaller and or newer trade associations tend to think of things like pasteurizing or uh dick and i lived in spain for a while and we talked to people that said that if you do any kind of clarification of your beer whether it's fining or even like uh holding it and aging long enough for more you know if if your goal was to try to get it closer to bright That that really didn't make you a craft brewer. So, you know, it kind of everyone has their funny, um, you know, nuance. The thing I get that the thing that breaks my heart a little bit about that is that it's all intended to divide us. And um, and I guess that's in some ways why I like independent, because it doesn't. It's more of a uniter of one very specific and important piece of our identity.
0: One of the things I struggle with having seen that uh, evolution of uh, microbrewing, brewing um, I'm old enough to remember when it was just called boutique beer, we had a, a very brief uh, flowering in the 80s or 90s um, to, to craft. and. There is always an element where people want to look into the heart of the they they want a definition where you look into the heart of the brewer and try and understand their true intention and that's of course an impossibility.
1: But but I think that's interesting because when you're looking into the heart of the brewer you probably are talking about craft, right? I mean Absolutely. because you know, the heart of the brewer doesn't really care about the commercial, often, not always, but often the commercial side of the business is less. Or when you think historically back to the Sumerians, they weren't initially thinking of commercial intent, or probably even, you know, the beautiful expression of beer, they they fell upon something, and it gave them a buzz, and they liked it. But I do think that sort of, wanting to know about the intention of the brewer is both a real hallmark of who we are as an industry and also a bit of noise when it comes down to parsing out the tiny detail.
0: That's probably a nice lead to where we talk about uh, New Belgium's culture um, and you can't always look into the heart of the brewer but you can look at the way that they behave which is often a reflection of How they feel, and New Belgium has built a very strong culture around what you do, and uh, we heard a lot of uh, that in your um, keynote. Um, And I was fascinated to hear that before you became a brewer, or before you became a brewery owner, um, you were a social worker. Um, And I'm I'm wondering whether it was your personal philosophy that led to you to social work, and also um, infuses New Belgium, or whether it was what you learned as a social worker that infused New Belgium?
1: Well, chronologically, you know, they came in order, right? I was born in a a fairly liberal family. And so interestingly, we were kind of taught to be suspicious of the profit motive. That was not, we were not business people. We were community organizers. And so my mother is a social worker and, you know, involved in political administration. Um, so, so that's kind of my roots. I also went to a Quaker high school and that notion that you let your life speak, which is a quote from George Fox, who is the founder of the Quaker movement in the United States. Um, I was tickled to be able to use that in a business sense. It didn't, when I started... Uh, with Jeff New Belgium, it didn't occur to me that there would be this possibility to really use business as a force for good and think about how we wanted to use profits. And um, so I'm very literal I want what I say I want to do, and what I do, I try to keep those really congruent because it makes me feel uneasy to sort of be like, yeah, I want to like it. I fly more than I would like because it's not a great environmental strategy.
0: And, and that's a I mean, that's a great thing when you walk what you talk. It, it, it can I be tried. very very hard, and there are compromises that I guess every business has to make. Um, how? In Within that philosoph, uh, philosophical underpinning, how has New Belgium gone from being a very small brewery in a basement to one of the leaders of the American uh, revolution, craft revolution, um, and grown uh, exponentially? How have you uh, managed to fund that growth?
1: Well, so for starters, um, I mentioned in my speech today that we had the grow, no grow conversation. Should we grow the company? Oh, gosh, I'm sure at least 100 times over the years because we couldn't really find a compelling reason to grow for quite a while. Um, but one of the things I know for sure is that organisms, whether they're, you know, communities of people who work in a company or, you know, almost anything but perhaps a single-celled organism, um, don't sit in stasis. You either, you either expand or you contract. And there are moments where you cross the line where you hit stasis, but it's a very temporary state in a living organism and so first you have to acknowledge that 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 sitting in one place you have to find other ways to grow your energy or you start to you know contract um, but the real eye-opener for us was when we realized that if we didn't grow all of our coworkers sat in the same spot Nobody got to have new opportunity. The job didn't change. There was no upward mobility. We couldn't hire, you know, creative, vibrant professionals. And that was really where we kind of landed on a level of comfort with growing, that um, growing enabled us to provide opportunity for a lot of people. How did we fund that? we were really very traditional. We've always used bank financing. So we've, uh, initially we took out a second mortgage on our house, but after that, uh, finance, you know, vehicle, we ended up always using banks, which for us was a great strategy because it meant that we never had partners. Jeff and I were always sole proprietors together. and, and I think that really left us with our own destiny more firmly in our own hands.
0: Stress, when, when the bank owns a big part of your business. Sure.
1: Well, not only when the bank, I mean, even, so before the bank owns a big part of the business, the bank owns a big part of your house. Because in those early years, you signed personal guarantees. I know that Dick and his partners did the same thing you know, the bank wants some sort of collateral to back up that you're not going to, if you go belly up, they own something. And so for many years, we signed personal guarantees for things. And eventually you get to a level, a size where you're big enough that you start pushing back on that and saying, we're big enough. There is an asset here. I'm not going to sign my house away to you anymore. So, that's a big day in an entrepreneur's life.
0: <laughs> in in your keynote, you showed some uh, fascinating photos of a very small. Uh, I think it was two hundred uh, hect brew house. The the was it?
1: Yeah, we we go by hectoliters. hectoliters so it's a four so hectoliter Four, four hectoliter. Sorry, yeah.
0: um, i was making all of the wrong conversions in my head. Um, that had moved out of your basement at, at that stage. So. You started very, very small for a brewery of of your scale. Um, That was back in 1991. Uh With the 6,500 breweries that are now operating, do you think it's a viable option that breweries could start that way or did you have an early mover advantage and these days if you start a brewery you need to be a little bit more prepared?
1: I actually think in the United States at least, and it's my sense that this is true in Australia as well, I actually think a lot of the people who are starting are people who are starting with brew houses as small as that and kind of homegrown setups or maybe they're buying used equipment from someone who either went out of business or grew bigger. So it is clearly a phenomenon as a part of our industry. I think the follow-on question I know you're the interviewer, and I'm not supposed to make up the questions. But I think the follow-on question would be, can people grow either at the pace or to the size that New Belgium was? I think that's a lot harder now. I think small and local rules the day. We struggle with, um, you know... I, we make very good beer. We make distinctive beer. We have a breadth of portfolio that is, I don't want to say unmatched, but, you know, not everyone does. We have a hemp beer that is groundbreaking in the United States. And we've been making wood-aged and sour beers for years. So we have a real breadth of, you know, and we have everything in between. Um, and... It is more difficult in the marketplace for us these days to uh, get a tap handle or get shelf space because there are so many local people with options. And I don't, uh, you know, do I wish it was somewhat different than that? Sometimes I do, I'll admit. But um, that is the nature of the business these days. And it's our job to, you know, make the very best beer we can and be the best business stewards we can and um, be out there competing for, you know, the awareness and preference of beer drinkers.
0: We have seen some of the the, the, the largest of the craft breweries uh, struggle a little bit over the last uh, year or two as ultra small comes in. Do you think that uh, there is a limit to what craft can be in terms of size? Is, is craft brewing inherently self-limiting or can breweries keep growing um, and, and become e- even larger than the Dogfish Heads and New Belgiums?
1: I think craft brewers can become larger. Will many of them become as large as a Dogfish Head or a New Belgium or a Bells? I think that's a taller order these days than it was when we started. You know, your initial question had a bit of that in it. Um, And I think that that is, it's going to be harder to do. Do you think
0: it's limiting, the idea of craft is limited in the consumer's mind then? Maybe not in a business sense, but is that what will limit the size to which a lot of craft breweries can grow? They don't want to see their favorite little band become... Too successful?
1: Um, well, one, I do think it's important to acknowledge that we as an industry or as brewers can define what a craft brewer is or an independent brewer. It's much more difficult for us to define what craft beer is because that really is in the, in the mind and the heart of every beer drinker. And I think one of the things that we're all strategizing around is how do we get beer drinkers to care about our independence and about our um, local flavor or our um, business model for sustainability or whatever whatever the things are for any brewer that is sort of their special sauce. Can we get them to care about that? I think that's the big question. Because I think one of the ways that craft beer will take up more market share, if you're literally just talking about fuller-flavored beer, is that big multinational brewers have bought people like Lagunitas and you know beaver town and any number of other breweries around the world
0: of course when they when they buy um the 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 breweries that get bought say this will give us the resources to get our beer further and the big brewers uh say well nothing will change because it's almost we understand craft now we didn't for a long time we understand craft we're going to let these guys get on and do what they did do you um, I, I've got dick off my um, gesturing uh, about that. What's, what's your thought about that?
1: Well, I, you know, I think all of those things are sort of true. Uh, having a big brewer by you allows one to be able to invest in ways that that you couldn't without an infusion of capital. Um, brewing is an expensive endeavor; it takes a lot of capital, and um, it's difficult for people to figure out how they're going to uh, finance that. So I think that does happen. I think our, our experience in watching this whole phenomenon of, oh, nothing is going to change and we're still going to run it, and I think maybe that's what Dick was mostly, you know, waving his arm about, is that that's a temporary condition. And at some point, you know, and even in the temporary condition, for instance, I know of a brewery who when they announced that they had been bought by a multinational brewer, that brewer's public relations team essentially moved into that brewery for the first like month and no uh, communications went out the door that were not written and or sanctioned by that big brewer. So, you know, that authentic voice. Um, in one case, workers were trying to sort of post a blog about what it's been like to go through this process. And they were told, no, you're not doing that. And so, you know, everyone wants to say nothing will change. And, and then there's the other side, too, which is just sheer scale. I mean, they have access to things whether that's reach across the world whether it's raw materials at a better price expertise you know bulk bottling line you know things that that as independent craft brewers we don't have access to they have access to those and do i resent that no do i wish that beer drinkers understood that the rest of us are trying to sort of be deeply rooted in the craft beer landscape, good business people, dedicated to quality, yes.
0: There's just so much in there uh, I, I, I want to unpack. Um, how hard is it, um, and, and you, Belgium, is a, is a great example. You've, you've grown um, dramatically. Uh, how many leaders do you make a year now?
1: We make about nine hundred and fifty thousand barrels, so a million ten a hundred thousand hectoliters. Yep, so something like that.
0: Coopers, which is our large family-owned uh, traditional brewery, um, is 80 million, 82 million liters, and they're double the the membership uh, for Australia. Just for to put that into perspective for our listeners. Well,
1: we have you know a lot more beer drinkers in the United States. So the scale is different.
0: And that's where definitions are ultimately reductive. Um, But that was just more to give um, our listeners an idea. How hard is it to, for for you who are very closely identified with being the face of the company, and you talked about a good company lets its uh, employees bloom, how hard is it for you to give trust and control to people to say things on behalf of the brewery without you controlling everything and without you come everything coming across your desk and you becoming a, a bottleneck in creating that brewery culture
1: well one we have a new ceo at new belgium i'm still the chair of the board um, and there is a title called co-founder that will always be mine and jeff's both um, so i've given up a lot of the day-to-day control that was through a process of some time um and even back in the old days when we did what we call high involvement culture or open book management the goal of that was to get an extraordinary level of alignment so that i could trust that someone else could answer a question about new belgium without my I I am not interested in being a micromanager. It's not really my skill set for one. I don't have enough memory to be able to handle all those details all day long. So I want my co-workers to feel so much alignment with New Belgium's both intention and strategy that they can say whatever they say and I don't have to feel worried that it's going to be off message as they say in the industry, in the communications industry.
0: Um, as I said, there's so much we could talk about, but we are coming up to the uh, the, the half hour that uh, you generously allowed. So I guess I'll, I'll finish with the one question that uh, w- we asked because one of our listeners um, uh always wants to know this question and if if there was and it's called Pacey's Poser and it's uh, if you could go back and over the course of the last 27 years you could change one thing um, to to really make a difference to your journey or make things uh, easier what would that be? Can, Can you identify one thing?
1: Wow Pacey that's a really good question one thing wow you know it's a really good question and I think um I am often asked the question, you know, what were the biggest mistakes that you made or that New Belgium made? And my answer to that is that it's not one fell swoop. It's more like death by a thousand cuts, you know, that there are things that happen where you think, oh, I would have done that differently. Um, I think... That we had a period of time where the expression of who we are, that I left that in the hands of people who were not so aligned with our intention. And I might, um, I learned a lot about that. That's the other thing about a question like that is something that you wish you could change, you also know that you learned a lot from it. And that's a really valuable thing. So that would probably be it is that over the span of time um, in, you know, it's not just a year or two, but a few years, I think that our brand expression wasn't as tight to our hearts as it might have been.
0: And just, just in finishing, uh, Ben Coyman opened by giving his uh, experience with uh, New Belgium. And uh, I've got a very similar experience. Um, I was at, uh, the Great American Beer Festival in Denver in 2009, uh, 2009, so almost 10 years ago, and I was dragged off, uh, I met some people uh, there and they took me off to the baseball game at Coors Stadium, and I was astounded that in this stadium that was named for one of the large breweries, you could get New Belgium uh, you know, Fat Tire Amber Ale, which uh-huh. was an amazing thing, and uh, having spent three or four days in Denver racing around, trying to go everywhere, be everything, as, as you tend to do at these sorts of conferences, sitting for two and a half hours and drinking uh, Fat Tire Amber Ale. Uh, and, and I actually write a story about it for um, uh, All About Beer magazine, just saying that this is beer in context. It, you know, it, It's not uh, conferences, it's not meeting, it's not drinking everything and you know ticking all of these lists. It's having beer in the most simple situation, enjoying a baseball game with great people. And uh, that's my enduring memory uh, Memory of uh, Fat Tyre Amber Ale. So thank you for, for creating that beer yeah. and creating a, a very valuable, a very special memory.
1: Sounds like it was blissful time well spent. It was. And, you know, that's the beauty of beer is that it really um, embellishes on something that was, you know, a good time and helps to make it an even better time.
0: Well, Kim Jordan, thank you very much for joining us on Radio Bruce News and thank you and congratulations with all you've achieved with New Belgium.
1: Thanks so much. I really appreciate it.
0: And that was Kim Jordan. We thank Bintani for helping us to take the show on the road and get to BrewCon 2018. It was a terrific opportunity to generate some great content for you, our listeners, and you'll see us out and about much more often thanks to our presenting partners like Bintani. If you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways yourselves. You can sponsor the show, either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation you'll find links on how to do that in the show notes. You can also review the podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service, or even just give us a shout-out on your favourite social media platform, all of which helps other people to find out about the show. You can also tell us what you think about the show and what's going on in the beer industry by emailing us at producer at bruisenews.com.au. All letter writers will receive a Brews News bottle opener And our good friends at Beer Cartel sponsor our letter of the week. We will choose an email, a tweet or a comment each week and Beer Cartel will send the author a mixed six-pack plus a Brews News bottle opener. We thank Beer Cartel for all of their support.